for coaches, by coaches, this is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sauterly, brought to you by social media for high school athletes. What's up, everybody? This is Soccer Chat, brought to you every single week by the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. Check them out online at socialstudentathletes.com and all over social media at HS Social Media. We are also massive, massive fans and friends of the Duke Tick brand. Make sure to check out duketickbrand.com. You can get a discount by using the promo code Soccer Chat. That's right. Whenever you're ordering your products from Duke Tick Brand, just go into the special code area and type in Soccer Chat to get yourself a nice discount from Duke to Brand. Great products. We love it. You're going to love it. Check it out. DukeToBrand.com. Special code Soccer Chat. This show is brought to you for free every single week by the good folks at Social Media for High School Athletes. You can get this show anywhere you get your podcast from. And that's one of the best ways that you can support us because this is a listener support podcast. Support people just like you. All you out the links whenever we put the, the tweet out with the links on it. Share it with your friends. Let them know that you're listening and also support us in a big way by hitting that five-star rating and give us a nice review to make sure to uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what we can change to make things better for you. He's Nick. I'm Sean. And one of the things I love about when people leave us a review and leave us their name is it gives me somebody like that I want to talk to and, and get to, to chat with. And we got a, a new one uh, recently from a friend of ours that we had met in um, – in Wisconsin, uh, Coach Ronnie, and she said, always informative, unique perspectives. Love the how did you get where you are today nature of the interviews. The guys in person are as genuine as on the podcast. And I look forward to each one they put out there. Keep it up, boys. I, we are genuine in person. I think that's one of the best compliments we've I mean, ever gotten. That's, I mean, it's one of the only compliments we've ever No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, I, I, that, that, I mean, if, if that's, that, that's probably is good of a compliment as you can get is that you are the same and you are genuine in person, which is good. I think, I, I mean, everyone that, I, to be honest though, everyone that we've met in person that we've connected through, whether through the show or the chats, it, it's been that exact same way where it just, you see them and you give them a big hug and you're like, and you're like oh man, this is my new friend. This is my new Oh, best. for sure. Well, I, I, I also, you know, am a big fan of when, um people put us over that's a massive uh massive thing and uh coach ronnie also uh did a big thing on um on facebook i noticed that sean dan hazard posted a link to the show um and she mentioned she's like ever since i had stumbled upon this podcast i listened faithfully great guests and learned so much from them which i had to respond back you know with a thank you uh, and as and i also mentioned you know i'm assuming that you're learning from the guest and not us which would be the good thing there Oh no, absolutely, and we we really do appreciate it, Ronnie. That is, I mean, we, it was awesome to meet you, and we hope you get to see you again soon. Because when you pay us these nice compliments, we have to we have to buy you a beer in return. <laughs> well, uh, she is the the counterpart to Sean Dan Hauser in Wisconsin, and uh, she really loves uh, the promotion that we've been doing for Top Soccer, and we've got a nice little program. Uh, that we're going to have uh, for top soccer that uh, we're going to be doing each week for you guys coming up here soon. So make sure to uh, just stay tuned with that. Uh, you know, we're big top soccer advocates. We're big Sean Danhauser fans, uh, but most of all, we are top soccer advocates and, and we want to help that program out as much as we can. I know the border battle either happened this weekend or it's about to happen. Uh, I'm sure that Sean will uh, let us know how that goes. Um, but other than that, uh, man, soccer chat was absolutely popping last night. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, we were talking about earlier before we started recording, like the amount of people, again, it's getting harder and harder to keep up with. Like, I think we're going to have to figure out a way to 
<laughs> maybe we have to make it longer like to get more so we can read more of the answers like it's <laughs> it's crazy right now like, not, trying to find everyone's answer and respond to everyone i mean it's it's so cool because like the next day i'm reading so much stuff that i didn't even get to catch during the show and uh or during the, the chat so it, it's it's been awesome I I've been super impressed with uh, the the questions have been really good uh, lately, but I, you know, we got to give a big shot to Alice Riley and his guys, because I think, you know, over at soccer IQ, um, uh, you know, I, they're just absolutely killing it and helping us with the, the graphics that they're doing with the tactical situational scenarios uh, that we're inserting and, you know, I actually uh, just worked a, a, some magic uh, this past week. Uh, we're going to have another uh, little feature. Another group's going to come in to do some type of questions uh, each week for you guys. And it's going to just make it even more and more and more. Um, you know, it, it's incredible what's growing to. And I really think, you know, working with people like Soccer IQ and working with Dutik Brand, uh, you know, is is only making it better. I, you know, I wanted to, I really did want to bring up. Uh, some of the questions because they were really, 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 really good this week. And I wanted to bring up yours that you actually asked. Uh, it was, if you had to, what is the one other sport besides soccer you would have your athletes play and why? And I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick because I've, I've stewed on this all morning since you posted this. There's been a lot of answers. I think there were a lot of people stewing about this. Yeah. And the thing was, I, I don't want to put my answer when you post it because I thought that my boss would see me tweeting during work and be like, no. Um, so I was like, I'm going to make an educated thought. But but then I was like, I'm not going to answer it on the soccer jack because I want to answer it here. So I noticed a lot of people, and this is kind of why I had to stew about it, because I noticed like one of the first people respond to you, they said basketball. And I get that. You know, there's a lot. You, you could see the translation of the games and whatnot. But it made me think I, I on Twitter many years ago, I had a um, an awesome conversation with Christian Leitner. That's right. Right. The Christian Leitner. Uh, and we were talking about like why he wants his basketball players to play soccer. And the way that he described it to me in our tweets was how much more beneficial basketball players are from soccer than soccer players beneficial from basketball. And it really made me kind of think, well, you know, because the thing with, with uh, basketball is, you know, uh, you can kind of defend with your hands a little bit and the ball uh, is really kind of allowed to stop. And, you know, you can kind of, yes, you can double up on somebody and whatever, but you know, the ball can stop and you can kind of sit there and waste time a little bit. Um, but I, I was very intrigued by the people who were talking about hockey and for somebody who I know zilch about hockey other than the mighty ducks. Um, and I know nothing about lacrosse, but for whatever reason, those two were the ones that I really popped out in my mind. But then there, I, I, I'm, Oh my gosh, I'm going to bitch her because I've got to find this. The one that was the most intriguing that I love um, was somebody, and I'm, I'm going to find it so you can discuss on this if you want, but somebody mentioned um, golf because it takes you out of a Wii setting and it focuses primarily on you as a player. Um, and it allows you to really kind of dig deep uh, into uh, that psyche as, a, as an athlete. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, I mean, we, we talked with the Dan Abrams. So we, a few weeks ago, so that was, I want, I want to play golf with Dan. Yeah. Oh man. I don't, I, I, I feel like it would be a ton of fun because I don't take myself seriously at all while I'm playing golf. I'm not terrible, yeah. but I just don't take myself seriously. And I want to try uh, to beat him. 
So, oh, you would probably not do that successfully. <laughs> we, he claims he wasn't that great. Uh, oh, Ellis, Ellis Riley was the one who said golf. He said, uh, you know, golf allows for more me than we time, which could allow for more individualized mental growth, allows for self-evaluation and personal feedback each and every shot. I just think it offers something different in that regard. So for me, like that was really like, man, and, and Matt def, uh, Day Flips as well said, you know, golf for the mental and discipline side of the game. And it was just like, I never thought about that. It was like, that's actually a really good thought. Maybe that's a, maybe that's why I played golf. Yeah. No, I mean, Ellis always comes with, with some, some definite truth bombs when he, when he answers, but yeah, no, I mean, honestly, there were a ton of good answers. I mean, I, I, I saw merit in almost every single one. One guy wrote darts. I just wanted to, I wanted to connect him with Patrick McGinnis for a little bit. <laughs> I tell you who does. I tell you who doesn't want any in darts for me is uh, Sam Matherington. No, oh, well, I mean, I, I, I Sam only uh, she plays pool and she's a shark. So, do you ever no, need to? No, no, that that was oh, no, that um, was Jade. That, that was, was Jade. Jade. Yeah. Sam was actually okay at darts too. Or sorry, okay at pool too. I was gonna say I beat her at darts. She's gonna uh, claim that I didn't, but I totally did. That was that was such a fun night. God, that was a ton. Let's see some other questions that we have here. I got I got them pulled up, and I don't know why I'm trying to go between my uh, laptop and my um, phone. Um, but uh, there was a question too that came from Carrie uh, Jones. I actually I like this one. I end up doing a. Um, video on this one i believe it was i don't know no, i did it for for the next one but uh he said you know coaching a jv girls team who did not often make it to halftime so i'm going to assume his state has a mercy role i've not coached this level in a while what are some things to focus on and, and i don't know what your answer would be nick but i i kept mine really simple i said culture 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 fundamentals fundamentals and then in capital letters f-u-n dementals yeah no i mean i think so i i you have to say that again i couldn't hear when you said that i was trying to I couldn't hear you completely. The question or the answer that I had. Okay, so okay, so JV girls team that often did not make it to halftime. Yeah, I have not coached as well in a while. Where are some things to focus on? Yeah, I mean, I think for, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to focus on enjoying the game because the worst case scenario is you take a team like that who is losing consistently, and you it becomes so not fun for them that they're discouraged from ever trying to come back and get better. Yeah. And so I think that you're 100% right where the best thing you can do is find things to take out of it and keep them having enjoyment in the game because eventually if they keep grinding away, they're, they're, they're hopefully going to become better. But it is one of those things where you have to be the, the beacon for them to, to guide them back to enjoying the game and having a good time with it. Yeah. And I told him too, you gotta, you gotta pick the small daily victories and, yep. and strive for those and, and win every day that you can and, and win each, each little uh, segment that, that you're going after. Um, and here's one, I, you know, I'll direct this one towards you. Uh, Andrew Green said at coach Greener with some of us getting into the spring practices in a college game and some of us already in the swing of spring. I like that swing of spring. What do you do to use this time for implement new tactics, individual development and et cetera. So I use it for, I, and again, this might be different to a lot of people and I'm open for feedback again. I, I, I don't, I definitely don't think I have it 100% right, but we use it a ton to play pickup. Um, we, we kind of like structured versions of pickup where we play a lot of small sided, big side. I just, because unfortunately we could teach some tactics, but I mean, with our situation, I have six girls in lacrosse right now. 
uh, three in track, and then we'll have seven incoming freshmen next year. So that's I almost almost fifty percent of the team that's going to that wouldn't be able to get those tactics that we're talking about. And maybe the other like teaching the others would uh, allow them to help teach the the next group. But we use it as a way to. I don't think I, as a culture at our school we play enough just freestyle pickup soccer. So we do some futsal indoors. Even um, we do a lot of just three V three, four V four, five V five. And then we'll occasionally go bigger to like seven V seven type stuff. But I kind of like, I always say that when I run a practice, the girls are learning what I want them to learn when they're playing freestyle or playing pickup, they're learning about each other. And I think for me in the spring, that's, what I think is going to get us the biggest return on investment for the short time we have with them. And somebody who really, really emphasis really enjoys what they do in the spring is our guest this week. And if you were on soccer chat last night, you've already heard who the guest is going to be. We gave you a quick little preview of it yesterday. So, uh, well, Wednesday, whenever you may be listening to this. So we got an interview. It's coming up right after this. Each week, bringing you conversations with coaches from all over, uh, every single level that you can think of. And we have a, a very special treat for you this week. We've had the assistant on before, but now we get to hear from the source themselves. We have with us Akron men's coach Jared Embrick with us. Jared, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. So I, I don't mean to uh, to put the pressure on you, but Gurr told us that you know you were the best interview that we would probably have, and and really yeah. hyped you up. <laughs> well, then uh, he must be trying to get lunch from me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's very very possible. Uh, so you know, a lot of people do know uh, the story of Akron soccer in, in, in the recent years, but uh, with soccer chat, you know, to know who you are as the coach now, we've got to kind of know where you've been. So for those who may not know, may be living under a rock and, and and don't know much about Akron soccer, or they're just getting into the college game, kind of give everybody a brief background uh, about yourself. Yes, um, you know, I wasn't uh, anything special as a player. You know, I went that to makes three of us to the high. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, you know my playing history isn't great. I went to Granite City High School. You know I think uh, in the state of Illinois, where you know one, two, or three in most state titles. Um, you know then I went to Indiana Wesleyan University. Um, you know played there. You know started my whole career, but uh, again nothing, nothing to write home about in terms of the next level. Minus being an we'll, All American. Yeah, but I mean that was at a 
a lower level, unfortunately. So it was in my wheelhouse <laughs> at that at that level, which was nice. Um, you know, but I, I think um, you know, as a young player in high school, you know, we emphasize certain things like you know, fitness, physical qualities, that, and you know, I maybe didn't have the confidence or understanding of things that you know in college. The nice thing with the consistent playing time and you know kind of some belief from coaching staff and players that, you know, I played better, but again, nothing, nothing to the next level. So much so that, you know, halfway through my college career, I started coaching in the spring, you know, where we have a little bit of a lighter workload where it's just training uh, for our team and some limited games. So I took on a U12 club team just to see how I'd like coaching. And, and, you know, I really loved it. So then, uh, you know, I kind of, thought about things differently as a, you know, hopefully a coaching career afterwards. And, um, you know, I was able to, after college, get a coaching job at Missouri Baptist University where I did uh, men and women as a graduate assistant for the first year. Um, you know, th this was a great, great experience for me there. Uh, head coach was Juan Pablo Favero. He's now the uh, head women's coach at Oakland University. Uh, he, he's a guy you should get on. He's, he's a great speaker. Um, but under him, I learned a lot in terms of recruiting, uh, some offensive tactics, just treatment of players. Uh, he's very motivational. Um, so I w was there, I did three years as an assistant for men and women, and then they gave me the men's job when he moved on. Um, so I was a head coach at 24, which – you know, was uh, pretty valuable as I look back. It gave me two, three years where I can kind of, you know, start to try things that I like. Um, you know, the nice thing about some smaller schools, you know, I think young coaches, a lot of times they just want to go to the best level possible. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if you have that connection, great. If you don't, I, I would encourage you to coach at smaller schools, um, you know, there I had no practice field on campus. We had three different home game fields. You have to problem solve, you know. So I had to convince some really good players, some top recruits, all these things, um, you know, that I could get to come play at a place that, you know, you're moving around potentially every day. If it rains, some of these facilities that you rent out may or may not let you practice. Um, so I had to really work on a lot of different avenues of running a program, uh, you know, how to have a positive outlook despite, you know, things you don't have. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can, you can complain about what you don't have, or you can make the most of what you do have. And I learned, you know, the second part that you got to make the most of what you do have. And at the end of the day, it's still the people that make the difference, the coaches, the players, um, what you can get out of them. That's still more important than, Sometimes the resources you may or may not be able to have, um, you know, so that, you know, then I kind of started to say, all right, you know, I like it. I need, you know, you won't, you're not making great money. Can I make more money and still get different experiences? So then I worked with Metro United, which is now, uh, Scott Gallagher, uh, Illinois, um, under Dale Shelley and David Fernandez. And those guys gave me the opportunity to coach, you know, some of the best local talent in the Illinois side of the St. Louis 
Missouri area, um, you know, U16 and U18. And those two guys are excellent coaches. I learned a lot from both. Dale's coached the St. Louis USL team, and Dave Fernandez is coach pro, and uh, both were really good to me and great mentors. So, um, you know, through that time, I, you know, I just had a lot of coaching experience. But it was those two that kind of put me up at Indiana University uh, soccer camp. And um, that's how I got my big break. I met Caleb Porter um, at that camp. Um, you know, I worked, I think, three or four times for IU in the summer. And, you know, Caleb and I kind of just uh, hit it off from a soccer side. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we were great friends, but we had good respect for each other in our conversations I wasn't really expecting anything from it. And then, you know, we stayed in touch and he had an assistant opening and to his credit, he, he thought of a nobody like me at the time as a guy that could potentially help him. Um, so I was, got my big break. So I got to Akron in, in uh, 2007 as an assistant coach. And um, I guess my claim to fame as an assistant was uh, my ability to work with the attacking side of the ball and develop skilled players and, you know, really help us with an identity attacking wise, as well as recruiting and scouting. Those were my three strengths, um, you know, on the tactical side, probably be my biggest one um, in the scouting. So that's kind of how it was. And then when Caleb left to go to Portland, um, Thankfully, we were doing really well as a program at the time, and uh, our style of play, as you guys know, was was what people loved, and Kayla was able to convince people that I was the guy to keep it going, and uh, we got some alums and key people to kind of rally behind, and I guess you can say the rest is history. I've been able to be there, and um, I guess this was my sixth year, and just signed an extension, so life's good. When, when you talked about being, uh, you know, working with the small schools, and I thought you brought up a very good point about like a lot of coaches should be doing that. I think for a coach, the more you can learn to work with less when it comes to equipment or facilities, things like that, it does make you, like you said, you know, prepare and, and be able to call audibles when needed. Uh, what was, what was uh, something that when you kind of look back at that time and, and you think of some time where you may have had to call an audible that it just always kind of makes you chuckle? Oh, well, we lost uh... – I put together a tournament to uh, have four top 25 NAI teams play in it. Um, and we were renting this facility. So the facility, um, I call, make sure everything's okay. I get the team out there the, practice, the day before so they can practice. And then they call me and say the fields haven't been mowed. Um, so I go out there, I check on it, and I try to get the fields mowed and they just said, well, we don't have anyone coming in for two days. So uh, two of the four teams left. They said, we're not playing in this. Um, so, you know, then you kind of have to figure out scheduling on the fly. But th those were kind of the challenges is that, you know, uh, you don't run those facilities. You try to trust. You have contracts. And sometimes they can break them and you're the one who comes out looking bad. Um, but you just have a lot of little things like that, like uh, – be a lot of times where you'll get a call for training at three and it starts raining at one thirty, and they're like, all right, well, it's coming down too hard. You guys can't train. And then now you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. You're going to uh, 
go to the gym floor, you know, mm-hmm. try to get some time in a basketball gym. Or, uh, do you have to do film now? What do you do? Um, you know, just, just a lot of simple things. And, you know, and you can have a negative attitude towards it or you can approach it differently. And I think those things are hugely important because a lot of, a lot of coaching is, as you said, audibles is adjusting on the fly, being able to, uh, you know, be creative at times when, when you don't have certain, certain things. And uh, that for me was, has been invaluable to this day. And what was something that, you know, you mentioned some of the invaluable uh, lessons that you learned from your first assistant job with the men's and women's side. What was something that, uh, that you've always kind of stuck with you that you did learn uh, in that time? You, you mentioned about dealing with players. What's something that you've always kind of t- taken with you uh, everywhere you've been that you learned from those years? Uh, one thing is I'm not sure I can coach women's soccer. Uh, <laughs> a couple of times I've had it. I've had girls cry on me at halftime. No, oh, no. Um, I was a little too blunt, and then I just didn't know how to handle it. So we, you know, I think number one, I learned that I'm a better men's coach than women's. Uh, you know, I think too. You know, the nice thing about coaching both is, um, you know, you you always get a chance if you're having a bad day with one. You know, you have a chance to rebound and have a good day with the other, and then maybe you're not going home as bad. You know, I think the balance of that is important, but it's just double the coaching, double the recruiting, you know, and the time spent on both is just helps, right? You get mm-hmm. more time to kind of work on what what you're doing and try to figure out ways to communicate, drills to get things done. And uh, the more times you're recruiting and trying to find players, you're kind of honing your skills. So I just looked at it as a great opportunity to double up on uh, becoming a better coach. Um, you know, so I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that, even though it created longer days. That's a good point too, about coaching two teams. Cause it, I can always remember, you know, especially like in the springtime with clubs and work with more than one team. It's always like, if I'm going to have a bad practice, make sure it's the first one. If yeah. there, if anything was going to break down, please be in the first one. Cause the second one, we're going to take that one home and it's going to be a, be good to go. Um, you, you had mentioned too about camps and that's something that a lot of uh, college coaches who have been on this show, uh, have talked about, you know, just the importance of networking while they're at camps. And, you know, because sometimes that's basically a resume, you know, you never know who's watching you um, or, you know, who may have a position at some point where they asking somebody at a camp and, and that camp says, oh, we've got this guy that's an assistant somewhere and he's he's really, really good. Uh, so what was kind of like that, uh, that opportunity working up at uh, Indiana University and then getting connected with all the coaches that you did within your time there? Yeah, I think, I think maybe what stood out, and I don't know, I haven't really asked Caleb this but uh um you know I I went right before my first time I went work camp I had ACL surgery so I called coach Yeagley and told him look I just had surgery he's like oh don't worry we'll get you in another summer I said no coach I'm I'm coming just need you to know I may be in a knee brace or walking around on crutches I'm not gonna miss this opportunity and then uh, Caleb was my coordinator and uh it shows you how old I am. Uh, when we were my first camp, there's still a lot of teams that did stopper sweeper. Mm-hmm. So I go to the camp. We had a U12 team, and I remember this specifically that uh, after, like, uh, you know, the beginning of the second day, he's like, what are you doing with these guys? I'm like, I'm teaching them how to play a flat back four. 
He's in four days. You're going to teach him how to play <laughs> flat back four. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty easy. Why would I not? You know, it's a lot better of a system. So he laughs at me. And then my team won, won the camp thing playing the <laughs> flat back four. And I think that, uh, helped that was the moment. Fact. That yeah, was I think that helped, you know, that helped earn respect. And I think, uh, once, you know, like for me coming from uh, someone he didn't know as a player or coach to, to earn that respect on the field coaching allowed me to sit next to him in the cafeteria and maybe ask some questions, talk shop, you know, anything, because I, I was interested in picking their brain. I mean, IU is, is considered the best program in the country at that time. Um, so why would I not try to learn what they do? Maybe an eye into their success. But I don't think I could have done that if I wasn't doing a great job on the field under Caleb. If I was someone he had to always help out, you know, maybe he wouldn't have taken the time to talk to me more. Um, I always give the advice when the when coaches come to work my camp. I don't, you know, it's nice that you're funny. It's nice that you can get along with everybody. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to be here to show people you can coach. Because at the end of the day, your job's about getting better and winning. And people will hire you if they believe those things. They're not going to hire you because you can slam four beers and drink six shots and show up the next morning. Um, you know, even though they may like you, uh, you need to coach. Um, mm -hmm. So I try to tell people it's a great opportunity if you're, you're a guy, if you're a young coach, it's a great opportunity for you to pick brains of more experienced coaches, uh, get some experience. If you're a guy that's kind of stagnated and looking for new opportunities, it's a great place to network and, and maybe build a group of people that can uh, vouch for you when you need them. Yeah, absolutely. One, like, one of the things I was curious about when you made that transition getting into the first year, obviously like Akron's, I, I mean, it, I was looking at the record the other day. It's never really been bad. Like it's always been a pretty solid program, but like when you got there, it seemed like, you and Caleb started something that where he like it started really turning into what it is now. What was like, I, I guess how many years was he there before you were there? Here's their one year uh, before me. And I, I always remind him this, but it seems to just go on deaf ears is that the one year he had without me, he didn't make the tournament. <laughs> so, um, you know, he was just there, there. It was his first job after being assistant for my use. So I think, you know, we really balanced each other out, not only personality-wise, but strengths and weaknesses as a coach. And we were both kind of fine-tuning in and uh, worked hard. And then we had another really good assistant, uh, David Gifford, who's head coach at VCU. It was a really good staff that kind of meshed well together. And uh, I think we all brought out the best in each other. That's awesome. Like, you, like looking at his perspective, like did he take a little bit of a risk with you? Like not like obviously like you hadn't coached at that level it, like in your career yet. Was that like if it, like looking at his shoes as a head coach now, was that a little bit of a risk on his part? Oh, I think I think it was a huge risk. I even told our other assistant uh Giff that halfway through my first year, I'm like, Giff, how in the hell did I get here? <laughs> Every time I'm on the road with this guy, he knows anybody and everybody. And he knows all these former ex-players that are, are top guys, these other guys that have been great D1 players, other good coaches. How the hell did he pick me out of where I was at to come coach with him at Akron? Um, 
you know, when I first got hired, I didn't think anything of it. After the first year, I was kind of like, almost like, wow, I, I really did catch a break. And I, I'm not sure that'd be a question for him. I, you know, I'm just glad he picked me. I, I, I never really asked him why at the end of the day. No, that's, I mean, and again, it's just, it's gotta be like, that's gotta be one of those stories that you look back on and you're like, now looking at like your life the way it is now, where it's just like, man, this is, this is pretty cool how I got here. All because of yeah. the flat back four. Flat back four and coaching on crutches is probably the key. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I think with young coaches, I tell them, um, you, you can't do this if you're thinking about money. So I know I'm making making a good living off it now. Um, I wasn't at one time, but for me, you know, if I was 40 and I'm still coaching, I think I'd be happy even if I wasn't making what I'm making now because I never expected it. You know, what I wanted to do was was be the best coach I could be, help players get better, have players enjoy playing for you, and have a style that I really enjoy trying to coach and develop and and play. And, and those things would make me happy. And, you know, I've never really made decisions on money. You know, when I was an assistant at Akron, I continued to work club internationals. Um, and I never even asked for a paycheck, you know, to me, it was never important. And I think you sometimes as coaches, I know you got to pay the bill, but you know, this is a grinding job and it can be very difficult. And if you don't really love it, and if you say, hey, I'm going to get in coaching and make, in, and make money, then, then I'm hesitant if you're going to have the qualities you need to be good um, because it's not really easy to get to the point to where you make a lot of money. Most people, you know, probably make less than minimum wage with some of the time that some of these guys put in. Yeah. I mean, we, it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's similar to like teaching, I think, in a lot of ways where the turnover, I think, with coaches after – the first, I would say like three to five years, the amount of coaches that get out of coaching after that initial period is a lot. And I think a, a bunch of it is what you talk about where I think, and again, people have to be able to support their families and things like that. But I think that is such a driving factor for people where if it's not paying off in that first three or five years, like it might, they think it might never and they get out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, sometimes you gotta just, uh, find that balance of how much is too much. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, everybody, I think when you get out of done playing, you miss the competitiveness of playing. And this is a way to kind of feed into that. But, um, you know, you, you got to kind of persevere. And I tell people, you know, I never envisioned doing what I'm doing now at the level I'm doing it. Not because I didn't think I could become good enough, but, because I was never really looking. I just said, look, I'm going to take whatever I'm at now. I'm going to make it the best situation I can, give everything I got. When I talk to people, I'm going to be genuine. I'm going to just have some nice conversations, this. I'm not going to ask for much. And then I, I'm a big believer that if you work hard, you have talent, you do things the right way over time, someone's going to notice it, and you're going to have an opportunity to catch a break. And then um, – then when you have that, you got to take advantage of it. And that's, that's kind of how I feel it's worked out for me. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I was curious about um, kind of in this beginning process, anyone who's ever watched Akron play, and I hope the people that are listening, if they haven't yet, you definitely take a look is you, you kind of mentioned it briefly that 
your style of play is something that people enjoy watching. What were initial conversations like with you and Caleb kind of trying to establish that both, all right, this is how we need to go about doing this. These are the players that we need to get in order to make that worse. What was that like those initial years trying to figure that out and do it the way you wanted to? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, those were some fun times because uh, he was, um, you know, coming from my U, it was a lot about the intensity of our pressure defensively um, was going to be our, our staple point. And I was the opposite. I was like uh, how we play with the ball, how we build, how we keep it and how we create goals is, you know, how I always thought about the game. So we were trying to figure out ways to kind of mesh the two, um, you know, with the talented players we had. And, and what Caleb's really good at is motivating players, managing players, and uh, he could get some of these really talented attacking players to play both sides of the ball and buy into the, the intense pressing without giving up as much of the attack. But we, we spent a lot of time watching uh, videos. So the obvious teams like Barcelona, Arsenal, um, you know, and just kind of studied kind of their movements, their patterns, their uh, tactics. And, you know, Barcelona is obviously known for positional play. Arsenal, you know, they can be very good at counterattacking or they have this very good free-flowing uh, attacking football when they're at their best. Um, so we, we kind of looked at some of those teams and other teams that were off that. And, um, you know, those, those were fun days because you got to kind of, you know, really try some things. And I think that's the nice thing about college is uh, sometimes you can just try th- some things. And if it don't work out, you can scratch it. It's not the pro game. You, you have some pressure, but not, you know, if you lose five in a row, you're not worried about your job. You know, you can kind of fix things as you go. Yeah. No, and that, I mean, that's that's a cool thing I think about watching you guys play is you, you I, I think for anyone who didn't see it this year, what was it kind of like for you guys on the inside with that video? I think it was of your Elite Eight game or Sweet 16 game that went crazy viral in the soccer community where you connected yeah. like, I don't even remember how many passes, just an absurd amount of passes. And then I, I think my favorite player about that whole thing, I mean, the whole passing sequence was awesome, but the how calm your forward was to just play it back across the goal after all that happened was friggin' just unbelievable. What was it like being on the inside when that whole video went viral? You, you know, uh, my assistant said after the game to me, he's like, hey, we had a really good goal to win the game. I'm like, yeah, it was a nice goal. He's like, no, I don't think you understand how good it was. That was like 20-something passes. I'm like, really? You know, I forgot how many it was. Um, I think it ended up being 34, but I think the key to it was you have to give Stanford – you know, a lot of credit in that situation because I think it took us all those passes to kind of wear them out. But we talked a lot about in that game to continue to switch to point of attack, you know, um, not allow Stanford to hopefully get close enough to rip the ball off us. Uh, unfortunately, against them, we've had to learn this lesson in two defeats. We lost them in 15 in penalties in the final four and then 17 in the semis. So it took us a third time to kind of get the strategy right. And, and this time I think we, we really learned and uh, this group really bought in. We, we really wanted to, you know, say, look, if we can't, we can't penetrate them on one side, don't take any risk, come out on the other side, but we have to do it quickly because these guys work so hard. Uh, they're very well organized. Um, 
And I think at the end of the day, um, when it went 2-2 and Stanford tied it, I just put my best attacking group out there and said, you know what, if we're going to lose, I'm okay losing, trying to get this thing sorted my way. And um, that was it. So we took out a less balanced lineup, actually, and put in a more attacking one. And that was the group that just put that together. And, uh, you know, it was uh, obviously a great moment. How often do you feel at your level of the college game where it's a tactical battle between coaches? Uh, you know, I think, you know, during the game, there's only a handful of games, I would say, that, you know, you feel like it's overly tactical. I think leading into the game is where a lot of the work gets done. Uh, you know, I think if at the pro game you may have to be ready for two or three or four moves, I think at the college game, you know, you can make one, maybe two moves to help your team win a game, um, you know, mostly because of the lack of depth for a lot of teams because of the scholarships. So not many teams can sit here and have two or three different looks that they can throw at you. Um, you know, so I think that kind of plays a part. But I don't feel like I'm in – not because other coaches aren't good. I just think for whatever reason, lack of preparation with – playing two games a week or only having two, three days to prepare that, you know, you, you just try to learn what they do best and deal with that. And then, then kind of make your adjustments myself. I try to have a plan ready for if we're winning the game and we need to close it off or if, Hey, I need a plan B. What's my plan B is it personnel is a different system. And then how do we continue to develop those things as we go along as a team? Um, so if we do have to change systems, they understand what they're doing. Uh, those things take time, and that's sometimes why we start slow. Yeah. One of the things that – and I, this is kind of switching uh, direction a little bit um, to kind of like the recruiting aspect because, I mean, some of the players that you guys have had over the years have just been absolutely incredible – do you know when you're recruiting guys like Bunbury and Nagby and Yedlin, like how special they're going to be, like when you're go when you're recruiting them, or is it kind of like they got there and you're like, oh man, like we got a gem here? Yeah, I think I think we knew they were good. Um, I think in Nagby's case, we're like, oh my gosh, he's really good, um, and he has unbelievable potential. Yedlin, um, we're like, man, what what a specimen, what an athlete. Um, you know, he has the chance to be pretty good down the line. He wasn't maybe the finished product where we're at, and we, we kind of helped that. And I think Teal is a little bit more mature and ready to dominate college. Um, I, I think with all recruits, you know, back in the early times, we got some really good players that were ready to dominate. And now we got to kind of find um, the guys that need a little bit of maturity, Um to the game that with the homegrowns and the guys leaving early. Is it, is that, is that what you feel has changed? Is that like, like when, when you talk about like how recruiting is different, like what were some of the things that you've noticed that have changed from your time when you started back in 2006, 2007 to what it is now in 2018, 2019? Yeah, I think uh, when we started, when we got the thing going, we would probably just look at the list of, you know, I wouldn't say we'd go off top drawer completely, completely but you, if you just say hey who are the 25 best potential college recruits you know and that would be like our foundation of what we look for 
Now you say, all right, here's the 25 best players. Let's cross them off the list with the exception of a few because most of them are going pro or are pro. And now you're taking a look at the other guys. And I think after the top 25, the difference between 26 to 100 and maybe 25 is, is could be minimal. could be just your system of play. Um, so now you got to kind of look at who you think's underrated, um, and what guys kind of fit your personality as a coach and what you do. So I think it's a little bit harder now. I think you got we got to put in more time and effort um, where in the past we could just cherry pick the talent like um, back in those days when we'd get Bunbury, Nagby, Will Trap. Uh, some of these guys were really easy decisions for us. What do you feel are some of the things that – like you kind of talked about your personality and recruiting, like matching that, like what are some, like what are characteristics and kids that match your personality? Well, I, I think for me, because I'm such a junkie, I need guys that are uh, high IQ and love the game um, because we do do a lot of film work, um, you know, and I do put a lot of stress on you mentally on uh, how we play, you know, tactically. Uh, so I need a guy that really loves it and a guy that's willing to study it, um, you know, and a guy that's humble that can, you know, respond from, you know, maybe um, my perfectionist where I, where I can kind of grind on you. Um, so I need guys like that or I can burn players out or sometimes I may, may give too much information. And so we really thrive. Like this last year team I really liked because even though we we're really young, all these guys love the game and they actually encourage more film work, more, uh, you know, meetings to go over what we're doing where some teams, you know, it's like coach, give me 10 minutes of film and practice. Anything else you're killing me here. You know, <laughs> I got, I got, you know, girls to talk to or whatever it is. Uh, but this group really loved it. You know, we could sit there and have 30 minutes of film, 40 minutes of film. Um, and they just ate it up. They wanted to learn. I think those type of players, for me, the, the soccer IQ, guys with good technical base that can be versatile, uh, those guys, you know, ones that really have, have shown to do well with me. Now that you mentioned about with your team this year, I mean, was that something that you kind of knew that they were going to be like going into this season? Or was it something that kind of uh, took you to the side when, when they were like that? No, we, we knew we had some good kids, but you don't know exactly because not everybody tells you the truth, you know, whether it be club coaches or this, if they really wanted that. And until they've been through it, right, until you've sat there for 30 minutes, you know, analyzing film, breaking it down and talking about what you want to do, that if they're going to enjoy it or not. So I think there's always an adjustment period with this group in terms of that. Um, you know, I I still think to this day, I know there's a lot of coaching advice where people say, hey, 10, 15 minutes, and then people lose interest. Um, I argue that all the time. Like, they got to stay interested in 90 minutes on the field. Mm-hmm. And if this is what they want to do, you're telling me they're only going to commit 10, 15 minutes? And how many of these guys sit through a 90-minute match? Now, if you're a professional – you know, and you're 30, maybe you don't need 30 minutes analyzing video. I mean, your experiences have been a lot, but if you're 18, you know, what's your experience has been? You know, you're still developing. So I always encourage these guys, look, 
you know, learn the game, study it. You got to do what you do in the classroom. You go to class for an hour, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, an hour and a half, Tuesday, Thursday, and you're going to sit here and try to complain to me about 15 minutes or 30, and this is what you want to do, and you're not willing. So I, I think that, I, so I just told them, I'm going to ask more of you, and you guys are either going to crumble under it or you guys are going to thrive, and they ended up, you know, once we got a couple wins, they ended up loving it. I was to say, what was kind of for you the turning point for the season where it was like, I think we got something here with this group. I, I think for me, we lost the game to, um, you know, West Virginia with 13. They tied it with 13 seconds left. A really bad goal we gave up. And then they won it in overtime. And that knocked us out of the MAC championship, which is usually what we always win in the regular season. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of distraught guys because they knew – two games into conference season, uh, we're done. We're not winning the championship. And here we are, we're whatever it is, five, five and two, six, six and two. And then we had to play Creighton in three days that was ranked top 10 um, without our top striker, our leading goal scorer, because he got his fifth yellow. Um, and we came back and we beat Creighton, uh, one nothing. Uh, so that told me the team had a lot of, a lot of character and we're willing to continue to fight. And I had to now continue to, to help them through it, you know, continue to try and coach them up as best I can and find out more ways to get the best out of them. And it actually uh, really encouraged me to do more, more of the work in the film. And we did a lot to that point. I said, you know what, maybe, maybe these guys would be willing to do more because uh, we're a young team. I think we could use more to get some of the concepts and, some of the confidence that we need and kind of for when you have this team that, you know, starts, you know, they recognize those things early and then you, you notice a change in the personality, you notice the change and for the better too, what, how satisfying is it for, for you as a coach to know that, you know, at some point in the season before the tournament, you know, preferably midway or actually preferably before the season, like, Hey, like these, these are our guys. Like these are our, these are, this is an Akron group right here. Like this is a group that no matter what happens at this season, like this is going to be a successful group. Yeah. I think for any coach, that's what you want to get to is that you have the identity and you know, they can handle a lot, you know, they handle some setbacks in games. They can handle success. Um, and for us, that was the message. It was maybe, maybe arrogance from coaching staff, but it was from a lot of experience just said, Hey guys, we get to the tournament in a 90 minute game. If you guys are willing to, we'll prepare you better than anybody else in the country, um, to beat anybody, anytime, anywhere. That was our motto. We, I said, we've done it for 10 years. Um, we can do it in the tournament so that they just kind of bought in and, you know, once, once we got that rhythm, I knew, I knew we had a chance at it. Um, my, actually my biggest concern would, were two moments, us winning the first round game because we didn't get the bye and having to go play the Sunday at Syracuse. And then I was concerned on a quick turnaround Friday to Sunday, in the national championship, because you can't prepare in the same rhythm. And our preparation, I think was a big key into why we were doing so well with the uh, kind of 
now heading into the spring and, and things that you guys may have done in the wintertime, what is something now that you've kind of had a chance to look back that, you know, you know, going into next season, these are things that we've got to make sure that we're better at. Yeah. You know, for us, it's, um, you know, continuing the discipline of the details, you know, it's, uh, you know, not thinking that because we're in the final this year that we're minimum in the final next year, because the reality is next year is going to be a lot harder for these guys. Um, and that we continue to evolve our, our team and our game. Is there other th- systems we can play in certain times? Is there a better way to organize it? And then at the end of the day, it's still the details of our game, you know, the passing out of the back, the creation of attacks through possession and combination play. And can we make quicker, better decisions, be more aware? Uh, and then defensively, can we, can we press better? I think this group can definitely uh, press better than we did last year where we tweaked it. So, you know, a couple of our goals is improving defensively, evolving our, our, our shape to where we can maybe give a couple different looks, you know, against teams um, in certain games and uh, continue to make sure that they don't lose the uh, simple things and details of the game. What is something that this group makes you have to be a better coach at? You know, this group is uh, not the most athletic. So I think me um, solving problems without just saying, hey, you know, we need faster players. You know, so mm-hmm. if I can't get the faster speed guys because whatever they're not available, they don't choose us. Well, how can I get us to think quicker and read the game quicker so we can maybe gain a half step through anticipation rather than actual foot speed? So I'm always, say, like, doesn't that make you feel better as a coach, like knowing like how successful you were by not relying on athleticism? Yeah, I think, again, to me, it just shows, like, uh, you know, I think speed and physical qualities can be an asset and important, and you can't teach it um, in terms of that. But this game is still so complex in terms of, you know, how many players are around and what you see or don't see and how the pieces move that if you still have a high intelligent level with a great technical base, you can still – um, play this game. You don't have to sit here and be a sprinter, you know, you, but you have to be focused and you have to read and anticipate. And this group, I think for me, what I'm most proud of is that, that, that they were able to show that, that, you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, because we have lack of foot speed guys, we're going to do, you know, you guys can't win it. You know, those type of things. It's now, Hey, it's my job to figure out how to get us in quicker positions and how to see the field better. Um, you know, I think it was Cruyff who said, uh, you know, I may not be uh, faster than you, but if I leave two steps earlier, I'll still beat you to the spot, you know, something along mm-hmm. those lines. And uh, that, that quote always resonated with me, maybe because I wasn't the fastest player. But, um, you know, those things. And, you know, it's just, hey, mentally – you know, you got to take what you have and make the most out of it. And uh, we had a lot of skillful guys that were very intelligent. So I thought from that point of view, from a technical base and reading of the game and tactical base, maybe we can get it done through that. 
from a coaching aspect, what does each member of your staff bring to the table for your program? Yeah, we, you know, I've just had a, I'm going through transition this year. So, um, you know, I have a new staff, you know, last year I had Leo Chapel, who's not with me anymore. Uh, coach TJ Colba who's not with me anymore. I have Jer, my goalkeeping coach. Um, he's stayed with, with me. He's one that, um, from a personality standpoint, the players love. He has a great way of getting along with people, uh, communicating, uh, very good in and around the locker room. And then as a goalkeeper coach, he's, he's excellent. He's done a great job. Both goalkeepers we had under him are professionals. Um, you know, he doesn't make excuses for goalies. He trains them hard and really works at their game from a, you know, not only tactical, tactical aspect, but psychological. Um, so he brings a lot of that and he helps kind of hold everybody together through his personality. Um, It'll be interesting because now I don't know exactly what else, but I hired Michael Nanchoff. He's going to be um, my other assistant coach, and he was a member of the 2010 team. Um, you know, and he played pro for eight years. And what I like about him is he's a, a tremendous personality, very outgoing, very positive, uh, great charisma to kind of galvanize groups and rally people together. He was that as a player. And, uh, I'm counting on that as a coach and another guy in the locker room that connect with these guys about what it takes to make it as a pro, what it's like at the next level, uh, how he transitioned from here to there and what we did that really helped him. And then just the amount, the, the you know, he's a very popular teammate. So how to be a good teammate, how to be a good team in terms of, you know, bring it all together as one. Um, and then I'll be looking you know, for TJ's position, that'll be a position that's open that um, I'll be interviewing here probably the next month or two. With the, especially like bringing on somebody who's a former player and, and obviously everybody knows I'm a big basketball guy and their whole staff now is all guys who played there before, especially with like the guys that you've worked with in your time at Akron. How beneficial, like you mentioned, you know, guys who have been there before and and not even just so much be even playing at the pro level, but just playing at Akron and knowing how you guys run things and, and especially at, at such a high time um, in, in your career there. How important is that for these young guys coming in to have somebody that has been there, like literally been there in that same locker room, wearing those same kits uh, and, and, and playing for you? I think it's really important. You know, I think as a player, you always want to talk to someone who's been through it and what is it like, you know, and uh, he, he's done it, you know, he's been through it. You know, he's uh, even as a player, he had a, you know, he didn't play as much as he wanted as a freshman and sophomore year. He had to sit out with an injury. Then his last two years, you know, he's a key player. So he's even gone through that side of it as a player, you know, and, uh, I think it's always good to have somebody that's from the area and he's a, he's a Northeast Ohio guy growing up, grew up 25 minutes from Akron. His dad and uncle were both all Americans at Akron and professional players. And uh, just to have that here is hugely important. The local guys know, know of him, grew up watching him. Uh, The other guys want his experience at the next level and, uh, to be a sounding board and be able to have someone that can communicate some of that. That's not me. I think it's really important <laughs> because, 
<laughs> Sometimes they take what I say too serious. And, and well, in that situation, like as you said, like you know, Nick and I, we got this obviously our first time kind of talking to you. You know, where where do you find that way to show the players? You know that that personality, maybe that not soccer side, maybe just kind of a uh, in a down moment when the player stopped by the office just to chat. Uh, what's kind of a, the, uh, the the personality that uh, the, the players get to see outside the soccer field of you? Yeah, you, you know, I'm still probably working on that. My uh, fiance is big on me trying to do more of that. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, you, you have certain boundaries, but we kind of do – what I've been trying to do is meet with the players more. Just, hey, come in. Let's talk for five minutes. How are you doing? Let's try not to have a soccer conversation this time. Um, let's let's check in on other parts, and then when we go out and do team building activities and stuff, that I don't go around and try to manipulate them based on how they're playing. I just try to crack some jokes, yeah. let them see me differently. Uh, it's never easy as a coach because you're always thinking business. You know, um, you're always thinking it about the team and how to be better on the field. But a big part sometimes of getting out the most of these guys is connecting with them on a personal level. Do you have a go-to joke that you know always kills? Oh, geez. I'm not sure I could say it on air. Uh, <laughs> I for, I for one have like really embraced the whole dad jokes thing. And that's, those are like my go-to now all the time. Yeah. You, you know, I have our athletic trainer um, is our dad joke guy. <laughs> so sometimes I'll let him if we need a couple jokes. I'll let him uh, tell his dad jokes, and then uh, <laughs> I, I get to rip them in front of the team and make me look cool. <laughs> I, I maybe maybe that's the route you go. Maybe the dad jokes is the is the way. Yeah, he he has a couple really uh, poor ones. I think. <laughs> um, you know, kind of getting ready into uh, you know for next season too, as well as as we kind of wrap up here a little bit. Um, you know, for you, what, what gets you excited about, you know, this spring season, you know, I, I know a lot of people, uh, when it comes to, to soccer in the spring, uh, don't really know the side of college soccer when it comes to spring as you know, it's your training, but you're also getting to find out new things about your team and, and seeing where your team improved upon in the winter time. Uh, so what is the thing, what are the things that you're looking forward to most this spring from your group? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I like a couple of things in the spring. You know, me personally, the development of the individual player, you get to work a little bit more specifically on some of their, their strengths and weaknesses, um, maybe even change uh, positions. Um, that's one, and I like trying new things tactically. You know, if there's something I think with this group that could potentially be better than what we're doing now, we'll give it a go. And I'm not talking like a go for a game or – or this, we'll, we'll actually try to train it and get the most out of it. Um, and and that forces you as a coach to just get out of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously I like four three three, but, you know, if I can find something else, then I have to study it, teach it, and make sure I can communicate it. That's only going to help for the time when maybe we have a team that really needs it. And then the third thing is, you know, if I have the roster, so this year I have 21 field players, um, I try to play two games, so I get everybody as on one date. So, uh, you know, we have our five dates. I'll try to play ten games and get everybody as close to 90 minutes a game day as possible. 
um, and really work on the guys that haven't been paid much attention to or haven't been able to get on the field because maybe they have a Darlington Nagby in front of them. But at some point, hopefully we can push their development along and get them ready to play or maybe they find their confidence. And when Darlington leaves, we have another professional that, that's, that's started to get ready. Switching gears a little bit for the last few minutes, what are like, especially with the, the soccer world right now, what are some things that you're really passionate talking about when you're like in current conversations around the soccer community? I think my, one of my favorite ones is uh, the criticism of college soccer when it comes to U.S. development. Um, let's, let's be honest here. U.S. isn't winning a World Cup because college soccer is a, exist that wouldn't exist you know we need to develop players but ready to play at 18 and 19 because they're not ready to play first team minutes and they choose to go to college and get an education which in the big picture is a logical decision doesn't mean that u.s soccer sucks you know it doesn't mean that college sucks it's just a different avenue and i think other countries are jealous of it um that's my pet peeve is you know if you use college soccer in terms of uh, as an argument to why U.S. US is never going to be successful in the world level, then you're just deflecting from the real issues of what we need to accomplish um, and what we need to be doing to win the World Cup. That's my maybe my biggest pet peeve. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I mean, I, I imagine most people who can follow a logical sequence would agree with you because most people aren't becoming the best players that they're going to be from 18 to 22, if you're going to make it and you're going to be one of the best players in the country and change the, the world, you're doing that at 10, 12, 14 years old. And that's where all the the main parts of the, not to take away from the college world, but like that, like you guys are developing players over a four year span with limited yeah. time with them, as opposed to everything else that gets to occur with people training them at the younger ages, getting them to that point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I look at it like this. Something that when I went to Iceland to recruit, they did a presentation that I was able to sit in on. And one thing that stuck, stood out to me is their philosophy is to keep a kid playing soccer as long as he can um, because you never know when some the light switch is going to go on. So I look at our country. I'm like, all right, we have all these players that play youth soccer. Um, why are we trying to – you know, keep them from playing if they want to go to school. If I'm U.S. soccer, if I'm the president, I am trying to make every avenue possible to keep players playing until they're, you know, 30. Because you never know. Some people, it's, it's you know, maturity. Some people, you know, they have the talent, uh, but they don't have the confidence. And if they keep playing, maybe it comes, right? And I think that's one thing where we have the potential to do a lot better make a competitive market, you know, allow people to develop them. The kids that ain't ready, don't don't panic and force them to sign these okay deals. Let them go to school. You know, they get four more years, then have a place for them to go play, develop the lower leagues. So now you have guys playing until they're 26, 27. You never know when someone's going to come through that can maybe be a key player. You know, if you start getting people out of the – out of the game earlier ages, then it's just you got a smaller pool of players at some stage, and those guys got to get a ton. Um, you know, your, your core group is going to be players that have 
been first teamers at 18, 19. Um, but then you'll have that second group where college has done well for Americans, for U.S. soccer, the depth pieces that are mature, that know their role, know what they do well. Um, you'll have those guys, and I think Conte is a good example for the France team that kind of just hung in the game at the lower levels until he came. Jamie Vardy is another example um, where I think some of those countries have better infrastructure to encourage playing longer. I think with college, we can use that, and it can be off the bill of the pro teams even. It can go onto the bills of these universities in terms of development. So that, that, that's one that's one thing I would I would like to see us encourage more. Yeah, well, and hopefully we, we get the thing passed in the next few years where you can work with them playing a lot more games in the spring and stuff like that as well. Um, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is, as we kind of close, what would you? What is one thing you would like people to know about you that they might not? Jeez. that's that's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Well, I'm not sure what people know or I don't know. Um, what is your favorite sport besides soccer? You like, know, what, do, what do you have to watch if it's on? I love hockey, especially the St. Louis Blues. So I think. Uh, the physicality, the speed of that sport, and kind of how the guys, uh, the toughness involved with playing through injuries or what the Stanley Cup means. Uh, I love watching it. You know, the, you don't see as many days where they take off in, in the regular season. Um, so I love watching hockey. You know, outside of that, I'd say I'm just a pretty simple guy. You know, like movies. Um those those type of things i think if i'm not watching soccer it's you know most of the time it's hockey watching a movie or just hanging out with friends it's it's pretty boring actually movie that you always suggest to somebody who's looking for something to watch oh that would be the usual suspects (laughs) okay i can get behind that one yeah that one our, our law-abiding citizen, that one's always in. Okay, again, that's that's an awesome. I feel like that would not be one that a lot of people would recommend, but that is, it, I, the reason I like that movie is it like, again, Gerard Butler is like he's obviously an evil guy in it, but that you find a way to empathize with kind of the villain the entire time because like he's doing bad stuff, but you're like, oh man, but like he was a dad, and like it's it it, make, it confuses you the entire time you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Who who doesn't feel hurt or pissed off and just want to bring bring the whole establishment down <laughs> at some stage in your life? And I think that's what uh, I like at that movie is like, all right, if people ain't going to see it your way, you're just going to make their lives miserable. <laughs> what about uh, Netflix or TV show series that you like? Uh, you know, I like Ozarks. The whole money laundering thing is of interest to me because I would have no idea how to think about that without <laughs> someone explaining. So, so if Garrett, if Coach, if Coach Embig ends up doing that, it wasn't started on this show. His yeah. idea did not come from this show. Yeah, between that and Breaking Bad, you know, if you see me own a, a laundry mat or a car wash place, you, you may be wondering what I'm hiding. <laughs> me and John will work for you. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, the you mentioned fiance. Are you excited for the for the wedding? Uh, getting goosebumps or or nervous stomach? No, not yet. Right now, uh, we're we're just going through the tedious process of all the wedding details (laughs) Um, 
and and I can't lie, she's actually been been an angel and done done most of it because I've been on the the road recruiting uh, pretty much every weekend, and uh, I feel like I've abandoned her in some of my duties, but she's she's been great about it. I can remember in mine. I remember from the very beginning. I was like, "Look, do whatever you want, and only ask me if it's something that's like you really don't know if you want to do it or not." Like, I don't care. Just do whatever you want. Make yourself happy. And like, I bet there was like three or four things that my wife may have asked me about. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And it was like, so smooth. What's just absolutely smooth. So kind of use that uh, as, as future reference. I will. And uh, yeah, it hasn't, uh, as all wedding planning, there's some bumps (laughs) in the road there. Yeah. As, as much as my, see, I think the only like bump in the road we have was like, we did the whole thing without a wedding planner. And then the day before the wedding, my wife's like, oh, hey, I got us a wedding planner. <laughs> we, just went, <laughs> we just went this entire time without one. Why do we need one now the last 24 hours? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, is is what it is. Turned out to be all right. Uh, you know, the big thing about Soccer Chat is uh, it's about coaches networking and getting to know each other more and, and always being able to, to ask questions because we're all trying to develop as, as we can. Uh, you know, if, if a coach who's listening to this uh, wants to, to possibly connect with you somehow, some way, maybe ask you a question uh, or, or whatnot, you know, how would they be able to do so, whether email or Twitter? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, they can either DM me on Twitter. Um, obviously, I'd have to figure out how to follow them back if I don't now. But. <laughs> um, or they can just email me. It's mbick at uakron.edu. And awesome. uh, they just do that and uh, love to help anybody out. Um, you know, nice part about me coming from nowhere is I, I have a bleeding heart for, you know, young aspiring coaches that maybe weren't the best players and try to help them find a way to, you know, advance their career as best they can. What about 35-year-olds? Well, that's great. You know, forties. Yes. There's, there's hope. There's Never hope. too late. Never too late to become a great coach <laughs> and uh, you know do what's right for the kids. Awesome. Well, Coach Emberg, thank you so much. Jared Emberg from University of Akron. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. We want to wish you and your team the best of luck coming up next fall. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Again, we and we talk about this all the time whenever we get a big name on here, but man, he was just he was just a dude again. He was just a really fun guy to talk to. And I think I think another part of his story that rem- was really cool for me, it reminded me a lot of Chris Rich's story from a few weeks back, where he's just your regular old coach. Like he didn't have an unbelievable playing career, he didn't have an unbelievable background, but he found a way and now he's coaching over the last 10 years, the team with the best record in the country in the men's game at division one. And that's just incredible for a guy that just one day was walking around on crutches, decided to run a, a flat back and, <laughs> and got, and got, and got hired from there. How, how many uh, people are going to go out and get on crutches for summer camp this year? And run I think, flat back I mean, what's, uh, what's the, is it in um, a Christmas story? The guy, uh, the guy, the little kid who walks around with the crutch. Yeah. Yeah. So 
He's like that, <laughs> but better because he now coaches at Akron. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's super cool to talk to Jared. I've I've never met Jared before or talked to him. I've only seen him on TV, which is so weird uh, to to think about. You know how often yeah. we we say stuff like that. And yeah, it's just like coaching true. in national championship games and stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, not a big deal. It's a game of the week on TV, and yeah. here no, he is no, now. He's not, talking to not us. That cool. <laughs> but uh yeah you know super cool to talk to him and and get to pick his brain a little bit and you know what the cool thing was having Gur on or, or jer wherever you want to call him i call him Gur. it's a g uh you know coach coppinger on uh earlier and he kind of gave us it's kind of an insight on on coach embrick and i think that uh you know we we saw a little bit uh personality of him uh you know, and, and he, the one thing that, uh, Jer, you know, always said was, you know, that how much Embrick is just a, a student of the game. Like he's constantly watching and, and, and constantly evaluating things that he's seeing. And you could really see that, especially when we talked about, you know, what games he's watching, uh, what he looks for when he's, when he's out and just seems to be a guy that, you know, if you had the opportunity to sit with him for 24 hours, the stuff that you could soak up into a sponge would just be so beneficial to you as a coach. Oh, I mean, like, again, just talking to him right now, it was, it, again, it was just the, you can tell all the things that Gurr said, I'm going to call him Gurr, but again, you, I mean, you don't get to the level he's at without being obsessed, you know, just very obsessed with the game. You can just tell he just has his, just this breadth of knowledge where, I mean, again, just talking to him for the short time we talked to them, I felt like I already learned so much from him. Yeah, I, I, it was just super cool to have him on. And I think he's somebody that we'll end up talking to uh, again later on down the road. And hopefully we see him on the highways and byways as a traveling brother and, and get to chat with him in person somewhere. Um, so we have, we, we, I, I want to take a, most of our outro to kind of um, get into the uh, upcoming weeks. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, Nick is leaving the country uh, for good reason though. We, we've, he's kind of, talked about it for the on the show the last few weeks uh making his way to columbia correct columbia yep cali columbia and anybody who knows nick has been in a rush all day long uh because he had some issues uh forgot his passport had expired and and but thankfully he was able to make it and get that fixed and you all you got to do is pack now man and and you got to like leave in a few hours so you got to like hurry up and get packed yeah no i mean honestly like it's it was, it was so stupid. And again, this is, I, I consider myself a fairly intelligent individual, but the problem was <laughs> I, I, tr- I, we went out of the country when I was a uh, junior in college. So it was back in 2008. And to be honest, I, I don't travel out of the country ever. So I had no idea <laughs> passports expired. I just assumed they kept going and that's <laughs> obviously not the case. And <laughs> So I figured this out on Monday. Thank God. I the honestly the only reason this uh this will, our our dictic women will appreciate this. The only reason I figured this out was because I put my passport in my backpack that I carry around with me all the time, so I wouldn't forget it. And I was grabbing my dictic notebook out of my bag to like as I thought of a new system that I wanted to like just get. I like I always like randomly will come up with ideas and. I'll just, I want to write them down. So I grab a book out and then I grab my passport at the same time. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what my picture looks like. And I looked at the picture and I saw the date 2018. And I'm like, wait, what? And then I like look closer. It's like, I expired in 2018. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. I call it. It was right, I, right before we started recording another show. And 
Oh my God. I was freaking out. I called everyone I knew. And unfortunately, uh, the, uh, the Chicago passport agency, they, they do a really good job of getting quick turnaround. <laughs> if they have. I, fortunately, they keep, they kept telling me I wasn't the only person that did that. I feel so stupid, but, um, but you have a little JC. It's like, you don't travel outside the country. So like, how, how would you know? No, unless, it, unless that's something you, like, we're all supposed to know. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, I like, I'm sure someone will look at this like, man, that idiot. But like, honestly, I just had no idea. I hadn't left the country in such a long time. I didn't even think about it. I've only left the country once and I, where I went, well, no, that twice. Canada is stupid. Um, both times, like I just hadn't, well, to get into Canada, I had an extended uh, driver's license because I was living in Michigan at the time. But then when I went to Mexico, all I had to have was my birth certificate. Yep. So that's, and that was, gosh, that was 15 years ago. Man, I'm old. Um, so what's the, you, you mentioned you're going to go see some uh, some teammates of yours. Uh, what other big plans do you have while you're down there? Uh, we're going to go see two local games down when I'm there. Actually, um, so Miguel, one of my, one of the two that I'm going to visit, he works with a group of underprivileged kids down there, like a local club team. And so we were able to, with my girls team and the guys team, and then uh, a few other people, uh, a Muscatine soccer club contributed as well with Dan Lingle. Uh, I, I got about like, I have a full suitcase. Well, I have like 34 pairs of cleats, about seven shin guards, six or six or so soccer balls, and then just socks and a few extra jer- like old jerseys that we're going to go. I'm going to meet that group of kids and give them the, the new gear that we are not new, but uh, some of the gear that we were able to scrounge up just, just different cleats and shoes and different things like that for him. Cause that's he, super he said, cool. Yeah. He's like, I mean, well, it's funny. Cause like when I was talking to him, I go, we all like, I have some stuff. Like it's just, it's not in great shape. He's like, Hey man, like these kids have nothing. Like they will say it's probably better than what they've got. Correct. And like, and that's like when, so like you also, like, when you're giving it to him, you're like, man, I feel bad. Like, cause these are a little worn and like, and he's like, no, no, like I see they, they will love it. I mean, there's, there's nothing that you could give them that they won't really appreciate. So that would be really cool. I'm excited to, to go hang out and meet with them. And I think like, I think we're just going to hang out, you know, and uh, like, it, it's going to be that situation like everyone has with their best friends where I don't get to see them very much, but I, as soon as I get there tomorrow night, it's, it's going to be like, I saw them the day before. And so that, that's When's the last time you saw them all. Say again? When's the last time you saw them? Uh, so I, I actually, it hasn't been ironically that long. Um, I, they came back when we got nominated for the hall of fame, um, back. Oh, in I, thought, I thought they weren't making it in for that. No, they did. They did. They, they did make it in. So I probably, I've seen, um, so we graduated in college in 2010. I've seen them three times since 2010. Okay. Two weddings. And then that, so not too shabby, not too shabby. No. Uh, let's see here. So while he's gone, we got to find a, uh, find a replacement for the, for the time that he's gone. And we've kind of toyed around some, some ideas that, uh, some previous guests we've had on to, to be a, a guest host. Uh, so you'll have to make sure to, to tune in next week to, uh, check out who that may be. Um, and we probably won't have any listeners next week because you won't be on. Uh, that's not true at all. I, I, some of the guests that we talked about, um, I, I think my mom is right next to me. She said that she would be guest host. Oh, Katie Rizzo <laughs> wants to hop on, huh? <laughs> but uh, I, I think some of the guests, the guest hosts that we talked about, will definitely bring uh, bring a bring a good level of uh, of viewership. Did Did you happen to, to tell your mom and dad about uh, last week? I think it was last week's show, or the, maybe the week before. My philosophy on your family based on everybody's Facebook photos. Uh, I. 
I forget all of them, but it was essentially there was three things. <laughs> Besides, your dad is Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> that, um, that was the only one I remember. <laughs> but it was uh, we. Uh, oh no, I do remember this. We are either running marathons. Yeah. Drinking beer. Yeah. Or on a beach. I think that was I two of the three. Sure. Think, for sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and Matthew McConaughey is always somewhere in there. Matthew McConaughey is always somewhere. <laughs> I just, I just, and I, I was listening to it the other day and I just, I was cracking up in the car by myself, probably looking like a moron. And I was like, I can just see Nick's dad. Like everybody's like, walk around. Oh, okay. Like let's take a picture time. And everybody's like crowding around a good picture. And Nick's dad's just like, you know, I, uh, I think this is a pretty good time for me to take my shirt off and <laughs> get our picture taken. Like I just, I just see him the what if uh, bright and tight. I think is what you bright, said. Bright and tight. That's his nickname. I, I just, I, I hints that uh, if I ever do get to meet Papa Rizzo, I just really hope that he Matthew McConaughey is for me. And oh, uh, he one hundred percent. If you meet <laughs> him, he will be wearing a tight shirt that's bright. It's just well, we're, shirts off is, is going to happen. Um, <laughs> oh God, if you do, he probably will. <laughs> it was uh, so. Let's see. Oh, here's a here's a random thing. I was going to save this for next week, but I just got to do it now. Um, so one of the teachers at my school has absolutely nothing to do with soccer, but they're a massive podcast fan, and they are subscribing to our show. It's uh, Jessica Ziliak, and she listened to um, the the top soccer and Danny Abrams one. Really liked it, and uh, her next one is going to be um, the first show that we did with Sarah and Sam. And I, I always tell people like if, if there's one that you're gonna like try to you know give it a test on, like that's the one to give it a test that on. That is that's the one to go for. That is that's some high quality stuff right there. Yeah, and I, I would I would even go so much to say I would suggest uh the Sam and Sarah best friends episode and the Lauren Sinicola one. That was what be like, like I, I feel like that's a really underrated episode. That was a really good it one. really is. It, it really is. And it was so cool because I think I mentioned um uh how whatever the last exact camp I did uh with everybody, uh Lauren was there. And I had never met Lauren other than when we did the interview with her two years ago. And I sat right beside her and I started saying, If you were my girlfriend. I'll treat you good. <laughs> and she was like, Oh my God, you remember? Uh, so yeah, those are, I, those are definitely two shows. I always suggest to people to, uh, to check out, but man, man, the most interactive show on podcast, podcast servers on Twitter, whatever it may be. You can join the conversation every single Wednesday night at nine 30 PM Eastern time, just by joining the hashtag soccer chat on Twitter. And you can join the conversation along with Nick and myself. Nick, if somebody wants to join the conversation with you or they want to pick your brain, or maybe they want to see your adventures while you're off to Columbia, how can they do so? At Coach N. Rizzo. What about you, brother? And mine is at Coach Soderling. And we want to make sure that uh, I want everybody to tweet as you're listening to this. I want everybody to tweet at Coach N. Rizzo. Please don't die uh, because if we, we have to be able to do the show when he comes back. Um, so we got to send our best of travels to Nick. 
Uh, also, we have to sin. Why can't I talk this evening? Maybe it's the Gatorade. Uh, we want to make sure to give a big thanks to the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. Check them out online, socialstudentathletes.com, social media at HS Social Media, the Duke Tick brand. Check it out, duketicbrand.com. Make sure to use the promo code Soccer Chat. Uh, every time that uh, you buy something from there, great products. They just got uh, a new deal out. You got to go on their website, check out, see what it is. But it's really, really good. And also, I, I was going to mention this earlier, but our friends at Torex, uh, you know, they got their Team Torex thing going on. Uh, these The members of Team Torex got these really awesome ball pump, like, accessory bag that, like, the ball pump goes into that's, like, customized and everything. And I just, I got really selfish and was like, that would look really good with like a embroidering of my signature on it. Like that would just be so dope to have my collection. I I think, and I think that you need one as well. So Torex, I know you guys are listening. You listen to me right now. I want one of those ball bags, y'all. I want one of those, not ball bags, those ball pump bags. I want one of those. I need a ball pump first, but I'm going to get a ball pump. And I want one of those bags with my, my, my signature on it. I'll be like how and in, in like uh, the the PGA Tour guys have their signature on their golf bags. I want I want my signature on the on the ball pump bag. That would be awesome. I'll be that towing that up. thing around. Back. Look at me, son. Look at me. Got my own signature on my my Torx ball pump ball bag ball. I can't even say it ball pump bag. I keep saying ball bag. I don't know why. Oh, and it is what it is. But the best part about all this is that we can come back and we get to do it again next week except nick will be in columbia so it'll be me and somebody else but then eventually it'll be nick when he comes back nick we'll catch you later catch you later (laughs) please don't die i will do my darndest not to i like living I didn't catch get to catch the game, but it's on behind me now. So I'll be watching it while watching this at the same time. It was decent. I saw like the uh, literally when I got home and turned it on, uh, everybody was hugging each other. And I was like, okay, <laughs> guess, uh, I guess it was good. It, it, we tied two to two. Uh, it happens. Yeah. I say it's not, I mean, it's a tune up. I mean, we didn't do well in the group stages last year. So, or in the last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was talking about the Chelsea game. Oh. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Nope. That's, I mean, that game went a lot better. Yeah. I mean, you can thank Trivia for one of the best own goals I've seen in a while. <laughs> Probably the best. That's the Chelsea goal of the season, unfortunately. Yeah. It was, it was bad. <laughs>